0: Two designers walk into a bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I'm going to say uh, just screw the rest of that quote from Gerard Malinga, <laughs> and I'm going to move on you know to what? another fuck, one.
0: Fuck that guy. He was long-winded <laughs> I mean, anyway. he was
1: important and all, but I said the important stuff. All right, you know, you've heard of ultraviolent, right? One of the superstars.
0: Ultraviolet, not violent. <laughs> I, did I not? I thought I said violent. Man, I w- I'm going to reach across the bar and make it ultraviolet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, everyone. It's Elliot
1: and Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design.
0: Today, we continue talking about the formation of the pop art scene.
1: And the introduction of its greatest superstar.
0: He made the lowbrow highbrow. And along the way, agitated a lot of people. So let's raise our glasses to the master manipulator himself back here in the bar. So, um, I have a question for you, okay? Uh, no, I'm not busy for dinner. <laughs> uh,
1: let's have drinks
0: first, okay? Oh, What do okay. you think? Yeah, let's All go right. for them. How, how the about evening that? goes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fresh. Um, okay. So, I thought
0: about this. For a change.
1: Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If I said name maybe two or three... Things that you think represented Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. What would come to your mind first, without even thinking about it? Because you're good at that.
0: Campbell's soup cans would be yeah, yeah, same same, first one. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And so here's the funny thing about today's episode is we're going to highlight the failure of the Campbell's soup uh, show. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit, but shit gets wild. Um, and because of what happened after that, so I think you're going to dig uh, some of the stories I dug up.
0: You know, I have a theory on why the show wasn't more successful.
1: Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is your theory? Because it uh, was not good at the time, or people just weren't ready?
0: I think they probably didn't have a hot bar serving soup. <laughs> Okay,
1: that, that does make sense. If we were doing the Campbell Soup Show, we would give out soup and grilled cheese sandwiches, wouldn't oh,
0: we? Oh man, that yeah, like a it should be a Campbell soup and Velveeta. That's ah, where he yeah. really dropped the ball, I think.
1: He really could have gotten Velveeta on board with that. <sighs> well. But so the thing about our visit to the bar today is it's gonna get trippier. Um and As you look around, Elliot, our bar is full of some very colorful characters, some Mm -hmm. of the most colorful Mm -hmm. ones you've seen. Um, So let me do a real quick recap from our last episode. The previous episodes, we talked about how the pop artists developed. They were all sort of, sort of, kind of connected in Greenwich Village, but not really. The environment was ripe with advertising, consumerism, money. And and throw in a dash of distaste for the highbrow intellectualism that was, uh, <laughs> that was uh, sweeping the country at the so time. So basically
0: where we record each episode, that's basically the scene.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it. Okay. Um, you know, more alcohol probably involved. But like now or, or then? Yeah. Well, yeah. Both. Oh. Um Oddly enough, oddly, this ambitious commercial illustrator, who was an odd, ambitious commercial illustrator, um, was told to paint what he loved. Mm. And what he <laughs> what came out of that were pictures of money, mm-hmm. uh, Coca-Cola, and Campbell's soup.
0: Delicious.
1: As you've mentioned already. Yeah. This, you know, that's sort of like what Andy Warhol's known for. And then... As we talked about, uh, we you know we went back and forth on sort of did Campbell soups like it? Did they not like it? It was mm-hmm. sort of a love hate thing, mm-hmm. um, but then things got really interesting for Andy, the factory, and the world, and we got introduced to the Warhol superstars and how they fed Andy's ambitions to create this art and commercial studio film set party scene
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot, yeah. To yeah. to use your term from a previous episode when you were describing the evolution of things like popular mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. music, TV in the sixties. You use the word I love this word, untethered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of The Goodyear blimp getting loose and wreaking havoc, (laughs) you know, like flying like all over. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, like going places it shouldn't be, like over uh, like nudist beaches and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's not supposed to go there. Well, I mean, they
1: they may the the people on the beach may not, but Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: The so. Uh, as the factory was getting started, uh, it wasn't really untethered at first. I mean, it was a hardcore workspace, but uh, much like Lord of the Flies, shit got real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> that went dark fast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the previous episode, I talked about the Campbell Soup Can exhibition at the Ferris Gallery as Andy's sort of fine art start. Do you mm-hmm. remember that?
0: Yeah. This was... Like we already touched on the place that likely wasn't serving soup, right, right, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I remember this because you said the show coincided, and this was great. You know, file this under you can't make this up. Uh, <laughs> coincided with the opening of the first Walmart, yep. right?
1: I knew that culture ear. Yes, how beautiful is that? Um, the the universe is playing uh, jokes on us. Yeah. Um, so
0: we loosely talked about this last time, but it was really quick. So um, yeah. tell me, tell the listeners a little bit more about this. What was, or maybe is the Ferris Gallery? Because that's unfamiliar to me.
1: Good question. And this show um, plays a huge role in making Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol, although uh, it doesn't seem like it on the surface. I will expand. Um, so, okay, the Ferris Gallery was around, it started in 1957 in LA. It's no longer around, but it was seen as a community of these contemporary unknown artists. It was formed by these two guys, uh, two artists named Ed Keinholtz and Walter Hopps. Uh, it was based right on La Cienega Boulevard in West Hollywood and really did kind of specialize in up and coming artists. Which most of them were California artists that sort of lived that culture of surfing, jazz, poetry, motorcycles, in and around Venice Beach and Santa Monica.
0: Sure, yeah, that SoCal street culture we know and love. So that
1: kind of sounds a little beat, doesn't it?
0: A hundred percent, yeah.
1: Yeah, motorcycles and poetry. Um, Anyway, one of the partners, Ed Kineholtz, uh, left pretty soon after it opened. Like I want to say 58, something like that, 59. He sold his share to a guy named Irving Bloom. And Bloom was put in charge of operations and really put the Ferris Gallery on the map.
0: So this was a guy who was also in the scene in some way? and
1: Yeah, yeah. I, he was probably a little bit more experienced at being a, a curator, mm-hmm. had a little bit better eye Uh, he certainly would become renowned later on for what he did but if you notice like the dates and the timing there is kind of this obvious metaphor the original owners represented the beats and bloom kind of came out of nowhere as had a massive role in developing the pop
0: scene yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was sophisticated with not only how to run a gallery, but also how to promote it and how to find. Yes,
1: talent. yes, yes, yes. And he was passionate about it. All right. So we've already talked about that the show opened in uh, July and uh, coincided with the first Walmart opening, and by all accounts, the. That show with the Campbell soup cans at the Ferris Gallery was a bust. Um, if you remember, I said they had five commitments of the 32 paintings, and the gallery director, Irving Bloom, uh, decided to not sell those paintings or buy them back because he wanted to keep all of them together. And <laughs> right.
0: I remember that. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that would prove to be prophetic. But, The date that I want us to focus on Is the date that the show closed Which is August 4th, 1962 And as I said, the show was a bust Andy Warhol and Campbell Soup Cans Should have been lost to history But August 4th, 1962 Kind of made something there
0: Yeah, I need to stop you for a second Because obviously if we're sitting here Talking about both of these things now uh, it, Andy Warhol wasn't forgotten. He only grew. No, yeah. And, you know, the Ferris Gallery, it sounds like, even though it's no longer in business, it continued for a while. Right. So, yeah. So is there a story? You always come up with a story.
1: There's always a story. There's always a story. You know that. Okay. August 4th, 1962. That's the day that the show in L.A. closed with kind of a whimper, and it's the very same day that Andy Warhol started painting portraits of Marilyn Monroe because that's the day she died.
0: Ah, yeah. She
1: was found, you know, she committed suicide with with the drugs, Mm -hmm. and, um, and Irving Bloom called Andy and said, you ought to do some Marilyn Monroe stuff. So he did. He did a lot and uh, to say it took off after that is really an understatement. So the death of Marilyn Monroe uh, really has us knowing Andy Warhol as who Andy Warhol is now.
0: Okay. Well, this stands up. I mean, this makes sense. Uh, This guy was obsessed with fame as we've talked about and glamour. Yeah. 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 And she was both of those things. Totally. And
1: tragedy too. Remember? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this tragic figure. And then even when she was alive, I think she sort of had that hanging over her. And then when she dies from suicide, that only cements the legend, I guess. Um, And then, yeah, this guy, of course, later on started Interview Magazine. So that was also Mm a hub Mm -hmm. for celebrity culture. So was his idea from the beginning to be this sort of, I don't know, this sort of art world kingmaker, I guess? Like, what was his game here?
1: Uh, It's hard to say. I think... I think, as we've talked about, he was super ambitious. Well, I've thought about this a little bit. I think there were three factors, three major factors uh, in Andy's philosophy, point of view, his outlook in the world Mm -hmm. that I think moved him at the forefront of the movement. So um, uh, bear with me, if you will. Let me hit on a couple of these and see what you think. All right. Bang
0: on, my friend. All right, first one,
1: obvious. He was obsessed with fame, right? Mm-hmm. Both his and others. Yeah, and you're right, he started Interview Magazine, and that was exactly the reason. By all accounts, he worked hard to establish himself not only as a successful illustrator, but to be taken seriously as an artist. And as a matter of fact, he would say he was not into drugs, yet he took prescription diet pills daily. And the one he took, it's called, not that you can find it, but it's called Obitrol. It's an amphetamine, uh, a predecessor to Adderall. And he did that because it allowed him to work more.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> gotcha. He took
1: diet pills to work more.
0: So it's a quote-unquote diet pill. Sounds like it was an actuality speed. Or it was a, It was Something speed. like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so kids, uh, if you need to hyper-focus, if you want to get more work done, please don't do drugs.
1: Don't do drugs. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, So, back to Andy. I believe he felt like he had something to prove. Uh, If you remember from the previous episode, people called him Raggedy Andy.
0: Mm, Um, That's right.
1: And he was looking for that community with folks like uh, Robert Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns. And uh, you remember I talked about how they pushed him away Mm -hmm. uh, last Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And even... Uh, the world's bomb-mont creator Even Truman Capote Called him a loser
0: <laughs> Yeah, bomb-monts uh, and, and yeah. bomb-thrower <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah uh,
1: Bon vivant and gadfly um, yep, yeah. yep. So, you know, I feel like uh, He had something to prove But, you know, he was a little bit prophetic When you think about fame And particularly in the 21st century He turned ordinary people into celebrities, and, like, decades before Facebook or YouTube or reality TV, he knew that people needed to be famous, and not only be famous, but not really be famous for anything other than being themselves.
0: Sure. Okay. So, this um, makes me think—well, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the plot here, but— I know he surrounded himself with, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, some "quote unquote" colorful people. Yes, <laughs> and so yes. I would think that if you're going to be famous for being just yourself, the more colorful you are normally—well, I'll use "normally" in quotes—that <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that's likely to be, at the very least, it's going to stimulate him. You know, he'll find you know he'll find these people interesting.
1: Good observation. Yes. Yeah. So fame was a big driver, I think. The second factor I think that really drove him was his his love of the lowbrow, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't even think, I mean, we call it lowbrow now. I'm not sure it was called lowbrow at the time, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it was like, you know, commonplace or everyday...
0: Boorish, loudish, uncouth, right? <laughs> I
1: like, yeah, I, I like this game. Let's okay, keep it going workaday, mundane.
0: Yeah, uh, sure, run of the mill, right? Ordinary, yeah. routine, just... vernacular. Yeah, well, yeah, humdrum.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, we could. It's like we're playing password.
0: Or yeah, take that, Roger.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yeah, it,
1: it's well documented uh, that. He recorded everyday conversations, uh, and he recorded himself and others eating lunch and sleeping.
0: And you know, <laughs> and he was doing... making art by having his, uh, we'll refer to them as assistants, maybe uh-huh. some of these colorful characters, you know, they were making art by peeing on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
1: I mean, I guess that is sort of the uh, ultimate in personal expression,
0: isn't it? Oh, man, I express myself all the time. Okay.
1: Uh, let's keep that to yourself. Thank you. Oh.
0: Yeah, we I don't want to get kicked out of the bar.
1: Yeah. So okay. So in that vernacular stuff, his contemporaries were using the commercial stuff as a departure point. Uh and kind of moving on from there. We talked about that with Rauschenberg. But Andy celebrated the beauty of the commercial stuff as is. Mm-hmm. Um and In turn, it would prove to irritate art critics and tickle the mainstream, you know, which is exactly what he wanted to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost a numbers game, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, Todd, uh, speaking of feeling a tickle, um, I think I might need to... uh Powder my nose, as the saying goes. Uh,
1: uh, (laughs) Are you going to go make some art?
0: (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Do you have some new work in the bathroom I can have a look at?
1: Uh, uh, All right. We'll leave it there for a moment, and we'll be back shortly.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the...
1: We want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters, think Ghostbusters, iconic images, think Bigfoot, punk music, the Ramones, Saturday morning cartoons, the Pink Panther, and failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at two 2DesignersWalkIntoAbar.com for full episode notes and visuals, the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter.
0: Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise stickers, coasters, magnets, t
1: shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff, and it helps support the show.
0: Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at 2
1: We read every message we get,
0: honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay,
1: now, back to the bar. All right, let me move on here. Third big factor that helped Andy Warhol find his niche was actually the times themselves. Like, we've talked about this when we were introducing... This series on pop art it was the explosion of commercialism. Remember, I talked about uh, in the decade of 1950 to 1960, it went from like 10% of the homes having a TV to 90% having TVs. Yep, yep. Uh, and advertising exploded. That ran headfirst into the social unrest of the 60s. It was the emergence of... Alternative lifestyles They were being more accepted Drugs and mind expansion We've talked about that Um, Traditionally underrepresented communities You know, those colorful characters Were now (laughs) starting to be seen, right? And Andy loves seeing them, right?
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously he found novelty in these folks So, it sounds like what you're saying is Time was right and Warhol found himself in the right place
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. So if you recall, uh, maybe watching a couple episodes of Mad Men, uh, the 1960s New York, that was a place where business and art really exploded. It kind of actually exploded together. Um, So we see the idea that advertising should be less about arguing the virtues of a product and more about having some sort of emotional connection to it. In the 60s, that was a really new idea. So essentially, at that moment, we became citizens last and consumers first. Mm. Ads were works of art, and works of
0: art were ads. Yeah, this idea of, quote-unquote, building your brand.
1: Right, right. So it was the emotion, not like, you know, up until then, people were like, Uh, Coke helps you lose weight Or you know Blah 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 It was like All these things Cigarettes taste good You know It wasn't like About the emotion of it Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah So he He was in the right place At the right time And The last factor That I think Drove Andy To make the factory uh, Was his desire To disconnect From reality Mm. Uh, What the hell Does that mean That's what you're asking Right
0: Well I mean What it says to me Because of his being so shy, yeah, uh, that he, he basically was sort of creating his own world and only let the people he wanted in it, in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he literally worked all the time. The day Marilyn died, he began doing her portraits. And within a few months, he was having his first solo show at the Stable Gallery. And all of the Marilyn's sold out. So, uh, totally quite a opposite. contrast.
0: Yeah, from yeah. the Campbell's soup cans.
1: Yeah, which was like you know six months earlier, right? The oh, Campbell's wow. Okay, so can. it was yeah.
0: really quick.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Marilyn died August 4th, 1962. He got to work on uh, lots of Marilyn's. This show at the Stable Gallery was near the end of 62, like November, end of November, and everything sold out.
0: Now, is the stable gallery, was it New York or was it? It was. Okay. Yeah, it was so in I wonder if that had something to do with it, too.
1: Yeah. You know, I think so because he was known, obviously, as a commercial artist uh, in New York. And, you know, I think, I mean, we can talk about the philosophy of comparing consumer products to celebrities all day long. But the reality is, I think people wanted more pictures of Maryland and fewer pictures of soup
0: even as ubiquitous I would say as Marilyn Monroe was at the time it was still easier to find soup <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah and find soup
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly and I think when I said he wanted to disconnect from reality he, he was quoted as saying one time I want to be a machine hmm. which is super interesting given his love of repetition and the manner he worked at the factory, he orchestrated and assistants started doing the work with him, Mm -hmm. then by him. And ultimately they did the work for him.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. But, but he was still directing them though. Like he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Themes and. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: He was becoming less hands on. um, And, you know, as I said, repetition. So, you know, you think, okay, let's paint a bunch of uh, Brillo boxes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're going to do a hundred of those, so start doing them, guys. <laughs>
0: but you know what's interesting? Because I, thinking about this, I'm, you know, just thinking out loud for a minute, if you think about his commercial art background, as you rise up the ranks in commercial art... You are more valued for your ideas than you are for your yeah. technical output, right? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I wonder if his fine art arc was echoing sort of what he was seeing in the advertising world as well.
1: Could be. And, um, you know, he did, he certainly worked with a lot of collaborators in his commercial uh, art. So it wasn't a foreign concept mm-hmm. for him. Um, you know, if we're going to be a little philosophical about, that, too. I think he saw us as more than just our bodies. Uh, it, it became how we crafted our image. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, building our brand. He saw our images being stronger than our body, and it was all part of this big sort of media machine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all sort of feeds on itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%.
0: And I think you're exactly right in terms of predicting... Social media and just the crush of information that we're facing today. He was, yep. He did, it, you know, it almost, I think, was like he didn't know how it would manifest itself, but he knew the manifestation was inevitable.
1: Yeah, yeah. He knew we would be uh, really interested in the ordinary people doing nothing, uh, which is pretty mind boggling for the time, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And today we take it for granted. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, I'm gonna switch gears here because I'm, okay. I'm starting to have another. I want to I want to get back on yep. track here. Okay, all right.
1: So those are all my factors. So that's my that's the philosophical part of <laughs> okay. today's well,
0: discussion. Todd, we've we've strayed into the highbrow, and you know that, that Damn you, it. you and I are strangers there.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a, it's a foreign zip code.
0: <laughs> We're gonna get kicked out of the top floor of the library. Okay, so let's get back to speaking of buildings, the factory itself. Because I remember. Yep you had talked about in a prior episode that he had moved out of his his apartment was like overrun with all his art he was living with his mom he's like i gotta get the hell out of here i gotta do something so he finds this abandoned firehouse and he's in this firehouse so is that the factory i mean what like when does this kind of start what was this ribbon cutting
1: no, you're right. You're you're right. He he made a deal with uh, to move into the abandoned firehouse, but he was only there a few months in oh, okay. 1963, and and uh, it was not the factory. He did have an assistant that worked with him, but. Uh, he was asked to move out, and I don't know. I, I never found out why. My guess is it was abandoned for a reason. So they're like, <laughs> "You probably shouldn't be here." Well, also, um, it wasn't
0: didn't he get the rent for like he got the fires for a hundred and fifty? Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah.
1: So he kind of quickly found a midtown loft space on the fifth floor at two thirty one East Forty Seventh Street in Midtown Manhattan, and that would actually become the first factory.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: he moved in there in January of 64, literally a couple weeks before the Beatles would land in New York City on the Ed Sullivan Show. You know, like, what a time, right?
0: Okay, yeah, a lot was going on for sure. Okay, I'm
1: digressing on that one. But let's put a pin in that date, because with the success of the Maryland show, things really started to change.
0: Okay, so I've heard two things associated with Warhol. There's the factory, yeah, but then there's also the silver factory like is this the same thing you're right different things like what's?
1: it is it is well the first one um was originally called the silver factory okay due to uh they covered everything in tinfoil and silver paint and (laughs) broken mirrors
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow okay yeah
1: yeah uh so uh andy's artist friend a guy named ray johnson Uh, Took him to a a, a haircutting party at Billy Name's apartment. Billy Name was not named Billy Name. He was (laughs) Billy Lenick at the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I got... Okay, so haircutting party?
1: Yes, Elliot. Haircutting party. Why are you looking at your watch?
0: Uh... Oof. Well, I just realized I'm late for my uh, toupee adjustment. So, um, <laughs> would it be possible to stick a pin in this conversation and come back to the bar soon to wrap it up?
1: Uh, yeah, we could stick a pin in your toupee also. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come back next time to the bar. Please join us as we continue talking about Andy Warhol, New York City, and the silver factory scene.
0: I'll probably be wearing a hat. <laughs> ha <laughs> ha So, Jim, we got a problem with our podcast. Right, nobody says it correctly. (laughs) No, some people say, how to fix it. Or how do you fix it. But think of it like this. Whatever the problem, we're in this together. How do we fix it? How do we we fix fix it? it? Yeah, how do we fix it? The solution show, from the political to the personal. Practical ideas for creative listeners. How do we fix it?
1: How do we fix it?
0: Ideas that work. That's your radio voice, Richard. Oh, I well, know. Well, <laughs> I love it. I couldn't do it to save my life. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.